Okay, good evening. So we're starting up uh, at least weekly talks. Uh, potentially I'll be doing other talks, maybe the Dhammapada videos and answering questions. But I think Saturday we'll have a talk for meditators at the very least. I might change the time, but I'll let you guys know about that. So, starting over, I wanted to start with something simple. And especially with concern for our in-house meditators, I want to give you something simple. And I want to give you a lot to think about. You've already got a lot to think about. You, no? You don't need to think about the Buddha or, or anything. You need to think about yourselves. Learning about yourselves. Learning about... Your problems, problems, problems is a big thing in Buddhism. <clears throat> we're not so concerned about what's good about you, we're, or us. We're concerned about our problems. We want to know why. Why do we suffer? Why do we make other people suffer? What's wrong? This idea was put quite well by uh, an angel in the time of the Buddha. There's a whole set of question and answer sessions between the Buddha and, and angels who would apparently come and see the Buddha quite regularly. They say that the Buddha spent every night uh, when he would lie down after all of the many things he'd do during the day, he would lie down in the middle of the night and would receive angels or divine beings, beings somehow beyond the realm of humans. And believe that or not, I, I assume many people are going to be somewhat skeptical. Um, if you read this, it's quite clear that these, these questions are on a different level. There's something quite profound, uh, not always Buddhist, not always uh, in line with the Buddhist teachings, but always somehow very high-minded. These are questions of a different sort. But there's one question that's quite famous, and it became famous because it was used by Buddha Gosa in forming uh, the Visuddhimagga, which is a very famous Buddhist text. But the question was uh, Anto jata bahijata Jataya jatita paja The inner jataya Jata is a, an, a tangle The inner tangle And the outer tangle This whole generation is entangled in a tangle 
ังตังโกตมะปุจามิ In regards to all of that, we ask Gotama. I ask Gotama. See, they didn't call the Buddha Bante or Bo or anything. Gotama, they just called him. Gotama was his clan name. Ko imang vichataye chatang. Who will be able to, who will untangle this tangle? Who will untangle the tangle? And the Buddha's reply became the basis of the Visuddhimagga. Now, why it's um, why that's the case and why I chose it is, I mean, this makes it a very it's a very fundamental conception of what it means to practice as a Buddhist to untangle the tangle. And I think it quite well sums up. It's one way of describing the pro the idea of having problems. And so this angel saw. Before we get into the answer, I talk a little bit about the question. This angel saw something that I think is very important for us to understand. It's a description of what's wrong. Why do you come and meditate? Why do you come to practice meditation? And this angel, looking at human beings, looking at themselves perhaps, saw that it was twofold. We have a problem externally and we have a problem internally. Our problems externally are our relationships with other people, our involvement with the world, with trying to make a living. The dangers inherent in the world around us, the climate, the economy, the, even just our own physical safety, health, and so on. We have, we are entangled mostly with other people, entangled with our families, entangled with our friends and our enemies, our co-workers. There are many problems, problems with other people. So this angel, of course, would look at the world and would be able to see it. Imagine being someone up in heaven looking down at the state of things on earth, where we're destroying our environment and cheating and lying and manipulating each other and fighting wars. Could you imagine aliens coming and watching us fight? the big world wars of the last century. Imagine anyone just showing up on our doorstep and is anyone home and oh, there we are bombing each other's cities. What would you say? If you look in any one of the houses on this street, imagine we were to go and spy on all the people in this neighborhood or this city. Imagine the things we'd see if we could People fighting, abusing, uh, child abuse, and the things that we might see, drug abuse, and so on. No. We would see a lot of problems. 
and that's so that's mostly externally, but internally as well we have a tangle. I think perhaps this is even more. Well, it's, it's more of a focus in Buddhism, but probably even more of a reason why people come. They're interested in meditation. It may have to do with not being able to deal with the world, but mostly it's the fact that we're not able to deal. The number of human beings that are taking medication for mental illness is, I think, continues to increase. It's skyrocketed in the past decades. But there's always been this tangle inside, our minds all tangled up. We're tangled up with depression and anxiety and addiction. We can't even sit still, right? You come and meditate and you realize how, how dire the situation is. Our mind is just a mess. If you look at people from the outside, everyone looks quite normal. It can be quite discouraging for, for people who have mental illness because it looks like everyone else is so healthy, smiling and laughing and joking and enjoying. But if we could open up people's minds and if we could look in the way the Buddha was able to, or maybe angels, sometimes they peer into people's bedrooms and watch them when they're all alone, we could look at people when they're all alone, imagine what we'd see. Maybe hitting themselves, maybe cutting themselves, some people. Yelling, talking to themselves, crying, you know, even committing suicide. Imagine the things you'd see. So there is a tangle. We're tangled up inside, we're tangled up outside. So what was the Buddha's answer? The Buddha's answer, who, who could untangle this? He said, Sile patitaya naru sapanyo Sile patitaya, standing on sila Standing on their behavior Standing on good conduct Chitang panyancha bhavayang if one should develop based on that good conduct, if they should develop uh, concentration, develop their minds, mental strength and wisdom. Atapi nipako bhikkhu. Such a bhikkhu Bhikkhu, one who sees the danger in samsara, sees the danger in the tangle. If they should work hard, atapi means they, they strive. Nipako, and they are clever. Clever means they, even just wanting to come here is sort of clever. They have you had to work out to come here, you had to convince yourself to come here. And then when you're practicing, practicing cleverly, knowing when to walk, when to sit, knowing how to deal with different conditions that come up, knowing to catch and say, this is just a situation, just a condition, and to be mindful of it. 
sometimes conditions come up and you think, I don't know how to deal with this, and maybe this is different, and then you realize, oh no, this I just have to be mindful of, reminding yourself, it's just, it's just an experience. Nipako. So you need to be clever and you need to work hard. So imang Such a person will untangle the tangle. So I just wanted to bring, use this to bring up the basics, to remind us of the basics of the Buddhist path. And talk about them internally and externally Because I don't think we often do that And so what are the basics? There are these three things Well there's more than that in this quote But the Buddha is basically reminding us of three things Sila, Samadhi and Banya Sile, Patitaya You start with good conduct Then you develop the mind This is all the faculties you're gaining in the meditation And wisdom you give rise to wisdom because of the faculties you start to learn better ways to deal with yourself and the world around you you start to refine your your habits and change your habits seeing the stress and suffering that comes from certain old habits with those three things you solve all your problems it's one of the great things about Buddhism. You don't have to... It's not like one of those teachings where you have to read the Buddha's teachings and really try and understand some deeper meaning. No, the Buddha lays it out there. Three things. Do these, you have the answer. There's no subtle... I mean, it is very subtle and there are subtle teachings, but it's not required that there's you have any interpretation or any... Um, Uncertainty The meaning is quite clear And the path is quite clear I think that was very much The Buddha's intention Throughout his his teaching His sasana Was to give us a path Was to always constantly Be providing a path Showing a path Directing people Towards Freedom from suffering not just saying things that sounded good or, or were wise or not even really focusing on the nature of reality besides how it related to this path. The Buddhist universe is a practical universe. It's not theoretical like, what is the nature of things? The Buddha didn't teach quantum physics or anything like that. He said, you do this, you become free from suffering. He showed a different kind of universe Not a universe that's about Facts or theories But he showed a universe that's about Practice and freedom And peace So He gave us these three things And they're kind of a progression You could say as the Buddha said Sile patitaya So you could say that sila comes first In many ways, that's how meditation works. Um, sila is is certainly the base, and then with sila comes samadhi, and then with samadhi comes wisdom. 
But on the other hand, they're all working together, so it's not necessary to think of now I'll practice sila and then the next step I'll put aside that one and I'll work on samadhi. Not really. It's more like building a house. You can't ever get rid of the foundation. Even when you're putting on the roof, you still need the foundation. So sila, the first one is conduct. Sila just means conduct. Someone with bad conduct is dusila. Someone with good conduct is susila. So this is the first of our tangles. We're tangled up in our conduct. We hurt other people. Maybe we steal. Maybe we lie. Maybe we cheat. We entangle ourselves externally. All of the bad relationships we have. I mean, so many bad relationships just come down to bad behavior. We hurt them, they hurt us. Physical altercations, verbal abuse. You think of all the mean things you've said to others or other people have said to you. If you watch how people say mean things to others, do mean things to others. How vicious and how terrible and how how destructive it is to steal or to cheat, to to be in a relationship with someone, cheat on your husband, cheat on your wife. <clears throat> to backstab or or gossip about other people and so on. The things we do in this world, I mean, it gets far worse. We hate people because of the color of their skin, their language, because of someone's accent. We might uh, treat them like a child, if you've ever had that happen to you. I'm usually seeing it the other way, where people come here and they have accents. But when I went to Asia, it's funny how when, when, you, when you speak with a foreign accent, People treat you a little bit younger. Treat you like a child. Anyway, that's usually not. I mean, it just can become a real problem when it becomes racism, when it becomes well, sexism, many kinds of bigotry. Um, many, many external tangles. Even simple ones. We fight with our parents. We fight with our siblings. We even fight husband and wife, fight with each other. Or partners, right? Not to be uh, heteronormative homosexual partners. Also fight with each other. We fight. So morality is conduct is often seen as this external thing, and there's so much external, so much of the fire in this world, the, the evil, the suffering in this world. This comes from doing and saying things that are harmful and hurtful to others, and we often look at morality that way. It's it's about not harming others, right? You don't kill. Why? Because that's very mean and and 
harmful to someone else to kill or even to hurt. Why don't we torture each other? Well, why shouldn't we torture each other? Because it's harmful to someone else, right? And it goes deeper than that, actually, because harming someone else, of course, uh, changes the world that you live in. If we're constantly afraid of the other, afraid of people who are different, and or if we're constantly at war with others, then we beget war. We beget this lack of trust and lack of harmony. When we steal from others, we, we change the environment. Our city becomes a city of thieves. People start locking their doors and so on. And so it comes back to us. It, it, we become entangled in this. And, and we become entangled in cycles of vengeance. We, we, the world around us deteriorates based on our collective actions, our collective evil. Everyone doing evil destroys the world. But it's also internal. Our, our evil deeds cause us to become entangled and suffer externally, but also cause us to become entangled internally. The Buddha was once asked about this. He, they, this man said, you know, all this talk about future existence. You know, when we hear about karma, we hear about this idea that if you hurt someone in this life, they're going to hurt you in the next life. Or if you did something bad in this life, bad things are going to happen to you in the next life. And that's really not karma, exactly. That's more of an extrapolation of the theory of karma, how it often plays out. But karma really is something that happens here and now. Karma is an action uh, and that has consequences. And those consequences are not in the next life. The consequences are immediately following the karma. When you hurt someone, the consequences are immediate. Meaning your, your mind changes. What is the most immediate consequence of karma is that your mind gets mixed up. Well, with bad karma, with good karma, your mind becomes brighter and more uh, organized, less tangled. But having done bad deeds, when we sit alone, especially uh, evident during meditation, the Buddha said our deeds envelop us like a blanket, right? You notice how when you sit in meditation, you okay, I'll just put all my world, all my troubles aside and just sit here in this room, no problems. You're sitting and then they come like monsters and demons. It's like uh, maybe they absorb in, well, they come from your mind actually, right? You remember all the past things you've done, good things you've done maybe. If unfortunately we've done lots of bad things, well, that's what we'll remember. The Buddha said, yes, yes, you can see. A, um, this man asked, can you see a fruit here and now of, of good deeds, bad deeds? He said, yes, yes, you can. 
When you sit alone, your deeds envelop you like a blanket. We become tangled up inside because of our bad deeds. We don't realize this, but this is the real direct uh, reality of karma. Future lives, it's more just once you're mixed up, messed up, and you've messed other people up and entangled yourself with them, uh, you don't get to just run away from that. And the eventual consequences are just the natural outcoming come of being entangled. So in Buddhism, we start with with morality, with ethics. Well, we start by keeping certain precepts, but more importantly, we just live uh, in a peaceful way. You walking back and forth is just about the most extremely moral and ethical you could possibly be, because you're not harming anyone. You're not. You're doing something that is incapable of getting you tangled up with other people or even inside. Nobody's going to call you evil because you well, hopefully nobody worth listening to is going to call you evil for walking back and forth and sitting. So you cover this, you 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 create a state of existence. It may seem quite trivial. To call this morality seems somewhat maybe silly even. But if you think about their ordinary lives, even just when we talk to people, maybe we say something, maybe we're critical of them, maybe we're kind of afraid of them or so on, and we say things and we can already, just by interacting with people, we can engage in immoral acts, not to mention our ordinary daily activities. Maybe we uh, engage in, I mean, just entertainment, just watching television and so on. I mean, it's something that gets you caught up in the plot. And now when you come and meditate here, maybe you're remembering all the things you've seen and all the stories you've heard and music you've listened to. It's all coming back to you now. So we have none of that here. We become untangled. That's the first part. So once you start being moral or ethical and once you have this really perfect conduct of living here you're living a life you know, our life living here has an impact on the mind and so it becomes the basis of our meditation practice if you try doing this out there in the world it's more difficult because there's entanglement you become entangled just by your actions And so you're able to develop with morality, with really incredibly strong ethics and, and ethical behavior. Not not even entertainment, not even interacting with people. You don't even talk to anyone, really. You're able to develop. You're able to untangle. It's like you sat down with this very hard puzzle and you said, leave me alone, don't talk to me. And you started to work on the puzzle. That's what we're doing. With this kind of focus and no one bothering you, you can really start to examine your mind in a way that you couldn't otherwise. And so you start to see things about your mind, and this builds the, this strength and this power, this focus of mind that we call samadhi. And so this, this relates to the second sort of tangle. This is the tangle of the tangle of our state of minds. Our minds that are weak, that are unfocused. 
because it's not even really about conduct in the end. The real problem is about our state of mind. Our minds are full of well, all sorts of things, some good, some bad. And the bad ones are things like anger, greed, worry, fear, depression, and so on and so on. Even just boredom and frustration, doubt, self-doubt. These are all a part of the inner and the outer tangle, right? We might not hurt someone, but we might get angry at them. We might not hurt them at all, but we'll definitely change the way they perceive us if we are always angry and bitter, even if we're always depressed. You are so depressed all the time. Someone might, many people might find us um, hard to deal with or... or uh, unpleasant to deal with right our weakness our weakness of mind becomes uh, a problem with our relationships if we're worried all the time afraid parents who are always worried about their children what they do to their children just by worrying about them all the time right I try to tell parents parents are always Buddhist parents are always trying to get me to teach their children and I'm always saying, I don't want to teach your children. You're the ones who need teaching and what you're doing is trying to offload your problems onto me. It doesn't work that way because I don't go home with your children. You go home to your children and you're worrying about them and putting this pressure on them. When we're afraid, our fear changes our relationships. Friendships, even romantic relationships, we're unable to stay um, in harmony because of our fear, our suspicion when we're suspicious of each other. Because of our greed, our greed leads us to manipulate others, it leads us to fight with each other. Um, but But just being in a state of weakness, Greed is a weakness. Anger is a weakness. But it's not judgmental. I think it's important. It's important that we don't judge people who have mental issues. We all have them. It's really just a matter of degree and how much we reinforce them and build the habits. But objectively speaking, and what you can see from, well, one thing you, you should keep in mind and learn to see through the meditation is that they are weak. Anger is not strength. Anger causes deterioration in the mind. Greed causes deterioration. You can't be focused. You can't be strong. And you should start to be seeing a strength of mind that comes from giving these things up. And so this uh, this tangle, this inner tangle and this outer tangle of, of mental illness, this is really a, what is involved in our practice. We are 
constantly trying to strengthen the mind and retrain the mind really. Kind of like learning to see. We are, we are, it's as though we, we have to teach ourselves to see. I mean, children, when we're born, we can see things quite, quite immediately, right? But this is a different kind of seeing, and it, it's that it's a way of learning to see. It is we don't see things clearly, and we have to train. And as you practice here, as you stay here, and, and as we all on the internet as well, as we all continue learning how to see more clearly. And we retrain the mind, and the mind becomes free or, or more free from these states. Imagine, imagine the, the change in your relationship with others. Uh, when your old habits are, are disappear and you gain new habits of clarity and strength of mind. When someone yells at you and you normally yell back, you don't yell back. And you're hearing, hearing, you're mindful of it. When your clarity of mind, when you realize that Instead of getting angry at someone, you're, you're wishing them well and you're feeling sorry for them. You're feeling sympathy for them because of the, the stress involved with their anger or so on. When someone is greedy and manipulative and instead of getting upset with them, you, you calmly and rationally tell the truth, show them the truth. So many things change. You can feel when you leave from the meditation course, you can feel so many, so many tangles, not untangling immediately, but unraveling. Sometimes you lose friends because it was a t you were just caught up with them. Maybe your friendship was based on immorality, right? You lose friendship with your drug dealer, for example. No, but you people who are only interested in you insofar as you could bring them pleasure, sensual pleasure, friends, loved ones, lovers, and so on. You, you may not be so close to them as you were before. As your tangles untangle. And of course, internally, we make claims about being able to help people overcome mental illness and I stand by them really um, it's hard to get evidence it's hard to get hard evidence that it's true but um, I collect what people I remember what people tell me and we're not talking about one or two people the number of people who have changed their lives Really, the number of people whose lives you can see have changed, whose, whose, whose demeanor you can watch change. I mean, I watch you people, I watch you guys change. Even over 21 days you change. And then people come back and do a second or a third course and you just... 
There's no question that they've changed. They have become untangled, free in some way. I mean, they're happier and stronger. They're not perfect, but they're becoming better. That's the second tangle. The third training, and so the third tangle, relates to wisdom. And so wisdom isn't completely removed from concentration, right? But wisdom is what brings about the, uh, the change uh, in our habits. So concentration in the practice that you're doing involves sort of cleansing your vision, you know, helping you to see more clearly. As I said, it's training you to see. But as you see more clearly, uh, the 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 clarity sort of becomes a feedback loop. It, it takes on a life of its own. It becomes m more deep on a deeper level. Right in the beginning, you start by cultivating good qualities and and um, sort of suppressing bad qualities. Like when you say to yourself, "angry, angry," or when you say to yourself, "seeing, seeing." The reaction doesn't come. If you if you say angry, angry, it doesn't snowball out of control. You're changing the habit. And when you say seeing, seeing or hearing, hearing, then you won't get angry or greedy about it. There's no liking or disliking. Uh, but as you do that, and when you do start to see things more clearly, um, it changes the way you look at it. At those things in the first place So when you later see things You just don't get angry When you get angry in the future You don't hold on to it You don't perpetuate it Because you start to see the, the cause and effect So it's separate in that way Is that the practice is about seeing clearly And once you see clearly uh, To some extent you don't have to practice Right? The old practice that you've done has allowed you so that you just won't get angry. Or before you had to stop yourself from getting angry, now you don't because of wisdom. Wisdom is the understanding uh, that, that prevents you from doing the wrong thing. I mean, basically, the definition of wisdom by its very definition, it wouldn't be wisdom if you if it led you to if it let you do the wrong thing, if it didn't prevent you. It's quite simple. We don't think there's much to understand about seeing, for example. Like if I said to you, become wise about seeing, you wouldn't even know what that meant. What does it mean? Does it mean understand how photons and light hit the eye and does it mean have some philosophical idea that seeing is just an illusion and if I look at you, I'm not really seeing you and so on? No. No, it really just means know that it's seeing. <laughs> no seeing is seeing, right? When we say to ourselves, seeing, seeing, um, we often have crisis points for meditators when they finally just take a look at what they're doing, they're saying, what the heck is this? What, what could I possibly gain from repeating to myself, seeing, seeing, seeing? 
because it doesn't look like wisdom. Doesn't look like the wisdom that we would you know, that we would normally understand as wisdom, but it in fact is the greatest wisdom. The capacity to experience seeing just as seeing is the most powerful thing. Because we don't do that. Why we get in trouble? Why we get entangled? Is because seeing is good. It's bad. It's me. It's mine. It's because of all of our philosophy and our views. And so we get entangled. We get entangled externally with wrong views. Our beliefs, you know, religious wars are caused by, I mean, this is where religious wars come from. Beliefs, views. Right now I'm teaching you something that I think is true and real. But I bet right now somewhere in the world, at many places in the world, people are teaching things that are just plain wrong. And so we entangle ourselves with others. We, we pass on wrong view. Even just sharing wrong views is a sort of a tangle. We, we create these tangles in the world. Our religion is right. Our religion is right. The world is caught up in tangles. Religion is a good example. Ideology. Capitalists versus communists. Capitalism versus communism is kind of a funny debate to me as a Buddhist because they're both very greedy, <laughs> both sides. We look at communists, we look at capitalists. I don't know. I, I, I guess one is maybe a better system than the other, but it's not the system that's important. You could have either system. If people had no greed, you wouldn't probably even need a system. Systems are just ways of managing people's greed, mostly. So we create these systems and then we use them to, really for our own, to feed our own egos. I spent, a, I took a course, I'm now no, never ever going back to school again, so, but I just finished. And one of the courses was on war. And throughout the whole course, I just kept thinking to myself, they're missing the whole point. They're talking about how people go to war why governments go to war but they're not talking about people at least to some extent we did but ultimately it's our own it's our own lack of wisdom that leads us to war leads us to hurt others and hurt ourselves um, other things like conceit and arrogance, these are all products of delusion, of lack of wisdom. Really everything, our bad conduct, our bad, our weakness of mind, it's all based in ignorance and delusion and wrong view. Lack of wisdom. Wisdom is the highest. Externally, all of the bad relationships we have internally our confusion our inability to understand the fact that we suffer we only suffer because of ignorance without ignorance we wouldn't suffer 
take pain for example you say well pain is suffering well no really it's not there are times when you can be in great physical pain and not be upset about it not not suffer from it right if you're doing sports or something sometimes you're sports there's pain but you you're not upset about it and there are times when you happen to be a Buddhist meditator and you learn how to see pain just as pain and you realize that yes, pain is not the problem. The fact is we don't like the pain. We don't understand the pain, probably more more clearly. Why don't we like the pain? It's a good it's an interesting question. We would never think to ask, why don't I like the pain? We would say, well because it's bad, right? It's funny how we look at it that way, right? Because the bad is the disliking. If you didn't dislike it, there would be no bad. So saying I dislike it because it's bad is, is a real problem. It's a delusion. You can see that if you think just about that. So when we see the disliking, when we see the pain for what it is, it unravels. This is how you should experience wisdom, how you should experience the meditation, progress in meditation practice. It unravels. It's like there was nothing there in the first place. You'll be left sitting there with nothing. You say to yourself, pain, pain, and then you wonder, nothing happened. Right? What, what, what use is this? Nothing happened. Ah, it's exactly the use. We forget that when, when, we didn't, when we weren't mindful, lots of things happened. You dislike the pain. You worried about it. You 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 conceived about it. Should I do something? Is this going to hurt me? Is this going to lead to an injury? And then you did something about it. Maybe you stretched. Maybe you took medication and so on. And you reinforce the habit of disliking, and you, you create all sorts of problems. Maybe you blame someone else. Maybe you blame me or blame Buddhism or so on. Or you blame the person who's hit you, or the person who's hurt you, or tricked you, or, or so on. And you become entangled. So the result, the benefit, the purpose of the practice is you become untangled. What is the purpose of becoming untangled? I think it, it's fairly easy to see. I mean, I think it, this is a good way of putting it because of how uh, positive it sounds, right? Becoming untangled seems, from, to most people, a good thing. We can see that we're all mixed up and that the world is caught up in a bramble bush. But... To be clear, the, the benefit of becoming untangled is freedom. Freedom not just in the sense of uh, not having certain experiences or not having to be entangled, but freedom as a state, freedom as um, a liberation, a being beyond the world. So an enlightened being has a state of mind that is untangled. 
and, and incapable of becoming entangled, meaning not insusceptible, not vulnerable. No one can hurt you when you're enlightened. You have no hook by which they can entangle themselves in. There's nothing anyone could say to you or do to you that could hurt you. That's the truth. There's nothing anyone could say or do to you that can ever hurt you. It's us that react to these things. They can kill us. They can even, I mean, they could take out part of our brain and cause us to think differently or so on. But to some extent, no one can ever make us react. Our reactions, our, our, our habits, those are the things that cause us suffering. Those are the things that bring us peace. That's where the problem lies. So thinking of Buddhism as becoming untangled in all these ways and, and remembering this basic Buddhist practice of cultivating morality, which you're doing just by being here and by engaging in activities that allow you to be mindful, by cultivating focus and strength of mind and by learning more clearly what is the nature of experience, the nature of reality, you're becoming free. You're freeing yourself from these tangles. Your habits change and your lives change. So I'm in great appreciation for what you're doing and, and the, the, the desire to impress upon you the importance of what you're doing, that you take it seriously, not, not be, be too serious, but to not treat it too lightly. This isn't something that uh, has great benefit just because you're walking and sitting. It has great benefit because you're sincere about it, um, because you really want to be a better person, because you really want to find peace, because you desire to become stronger and, and happier and more peaceful internally and also externally, the way you relate to the world, the way you relate to others. It doesn't stop you from being your individual self, but it makes that person you are better and more peaceful and more free. So there you go. Talked for quite a while. Uh, that's the talk for tonight. Thank you for listening.